You know, I enjoy reading the Psalms because I think within the Psalms we get such an array of human emotion. The emotions we see in the Psalms are, are cover the entire spectrum. You know, there are those Psalms of praise and joy and worship. And there are the Psalms of repentance and sorrow. And then there are those Psalms of confusion. And sometimes bordering on, if not crossing the border of anger and frustration. And I don't know about you. But I know in my life, I run all those gamuts of human emotion. Different times and different stages in my life and different situations going on. And the 63rd Psalm is one of those that that talks to us about praising God no matter the circumstances. And so in Psalm 63, David writes, and these words will sound familiar. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the choicest or richest of foods. With singing my li- with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you, I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They will go down to the depths of the earth. They, they will be given over to the sword and become food for the jackals. But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God's name will praise him. While the mouths of the liars will be silenced. This is an interesting song because it is written in the desert of Judea. Of, of Judah by David at a particularly low point in his life. You remember David had a son by the name of Absalom. And because of things, Absalom had kind of been sent off, exiled from Jerusalem. And while Absalom was exiled, he, he began to get an entourage and he began to get an army and he began to plot against his father David. And in fact, his army became so big that he was able to march into Jerusalem and send David scurrying into the countryside for fear of his life. Now, a lot of things might depress you in life, but just imagine the fact that your own son is out to kill you. Your own son is doing whatever he can to depose you and take your place as king. And David now, going from the palace is hiding out in the caves, in the desert of Judea. He doesn't know whether he's ever going to get back to Jerusalem. He is, he is uh, set apart. He is, he is uh, uh, there's a word I'm looking for. 
I don't know, but he's not near. What? Isolated. Okay, that'll work. He's isolated from the uh, from Jerusalem, from the temple, from the temple worship, from the worship of the uh, of the of the priest. He's separated from those things. He's separated from his physical, from his spiritual help and encouragement. He felt all alone and he was physically and emotionally spent. Have you ever in your life felt like that? Now, you may not have been in a physical desert. You may not have been literally alone with your thoughts. You may not have had somebody chasing after you, wanting to kill you. But have you ever felt like David? Emotionally, physically, and spiritually spent. As if you were in a dry and weary land where there was no water. You see, I believe that it's possible to feel like that in the middle of a large crowd like this. In the middle of all kinds of good things going on in our lives, maybe uh, prospering, you know, physically kind of like that. But in our soul, in our heart, and in our mind, we are alone and we are tired. And we are weary. And David says the key is a continual hunger for God. Even in the midst of all of this. Even in the midst of everything that was going on. Even in the midst of of the trials and, and, and tribulations. And living in a cave and fending for food. And all the things that might have gone along with that. He begins this song by, oh God, you are my God. And what is it that allows us in the most difficult times of our lives, when we are physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent, to cry out, Oh God, you are my God. And David says it is a continual hunger for God. And tonight, or this morning, we're going to look at some of the principles that that talks about. First of all, a hunger for God means a desire for a deeper fellowship with God. Knowing God is perhaps the greatest paradox of all times, isn't it? I want to know God. Have you lost your mind? I mean, seriously. Is there any way that we as human beings can ever really know God. His ways are above our ways and his, you know, he's all those different. Can we ever really know God? Yeah. Yeah, we can. We can know God. We can know, as David said from the very beginning, we can know, if nothing else, we can know that our God is our God. We sing that song and I love it. Our God, he is alive. If that's all we know about God, that is a really good start. That's a really good start. Now, I believe that the the older we become, hopefully, and the more we study God's word, 
And the more we really try to gain an insight into God and, and how he dealt with people of old and how he works in our lives, our knowledge of God becomes greater. I think about this a little bit, you know, kind of like marriage. How many of you, when you got married, knew everything about your spouse before you got married? Were there a few surprises along the way? I told the kids this. I probably told all y'all this too. We went on our honeymoon and we came back. And the very first thing we had to do is go to the grocery store. Because we were moving into my bachelor apartment, which had frozen pizza. That was it. That's all there was. We go to the grocery store. And I wanted to find out how you got an annulment. I, I didn't know who this creature was that I had married. She was picking up Colgate toothpaste. Dove soap. Non-Del Monte green beans. Minute rice. I was like, no. No. This is never going to work. We, ne- we talked about the big stuff. We talked about kids. We talked about, we, we never talked about rice. Rice is important. Every sane person knows that it's only Uncle Ben's. Anything else is fake rice. But as the relationship goes along, you learn more and more about each other and you become closer and closer I said this to the kids when we were doing our dating class some of you are going to disagree with me and that's okay you have a right to be wrong Uh, I had them fill out little cards before we started the class you know things they wanted to discuss or hoped we'd discuss and one of them had to do with you know how do you know when you find your soulmate that's an interesting question the soulmate question And I told him, this is my theory. I don't believe you find your soulmate. That's just me. I believe you find somebody that you love. And you commit yourselves to one another. And over time you become soulmates. It's the experiences of life that you have as a couple that make you soulmates and we want to become soulmates with God and that comes through time comes with a deep desire to have that fellowship with him we recognize we understand we have a relationship with God we know that he loves us we know that he cares for us we know that he hears our prayers and answers them in ways that are best for us we are confident in that relationship yet there should be within us a never-ending desire To strengthen that relationship. A desire to better and more fully understand God's will and working in our lives. It is a continual desire, David says. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Can you remember a time? 
when you have literally felt like you were dying of thirst. You know, things have changed since I was in athletics. We no longer wear leather helmets. Uh, and I, but I remember two-a-days in football when I was in junior high. I didn't play in high school. But in junior high. That was back in the day when the coaches, you didn't get water. Maybe at the very end of a two-hour practice in 110 heat, they might give you, you know, a little water break. They didn't believe in water. Now we understand the importance of it and hydration and all those kinds of things. Things are different now. But I remember just that, that dryness in your throat. Those of you that have had surgery, nothing to eat or drink after midnight. And you're sitting there in the hospital bed waiting for the surgery. And all you can think about is just, just, just one sip of water. One ice chip. David says, in a dry and weary land where is no water, I thirst for you. Do we have that thirsting for God in our lives? Do we have that hungering for God in our lives? One of my favorite meals is roast. I like roast. Somebody brought us some roast this week. It was good. Roast and rice. Uncle Ben's rice. Not too long ago, Kenya decided that instead of cooking the roast from the short period of time, from the time she got up in the morning till after church, she would get up and start cooking it at like three in the morning on the slow cooking thing. Never again will she do that. Because at five in the morning, I'm laying there. And I'm waking up and I'm smelling that roast. And I got another eight hours before I get any roast. All I could think about was roast. I was up here preaching to y'all. All I was thinking about was roast. It was on autopilot. I was starving for that roast. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst After righteousness. Do we have that hungering. And that thirsting. Do we have that desire to know. God more intimately today. Than we did yesterday. He says on my bed I will remember you. I think of you all through the watches of the night. My soul will be satisfied. As with the richest of foods. Jesus said during the temptation. When Satan said turn these stones to bread. Jesus said man shall not live. By bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then you remember when, when the, the disciples have gone in uh, to the city and Jesus is alone with the woman at the well. And they, the disciples have gone in to get him food. They've gone into the McDonald's. They're bringing back the food. And they get there and he's not hungry. They're like, why aren't you hungry? And he said, I have food you don't even know about. And you know the disciples. Jesus on one level. You know what they're thinking. You've been holding out on us. You got a Snickers bar in your pocket you didn't tell us about. How do you have food that we don't know anything about? 
The food that Jesus was feasting on at that moment was the relationship and the conversation that she was having, that he was having with the woman at the well. That's all he needed. We need to have that same kind of thirst and hunger for God. As David physically and emotionally floundered in the desert of Judah, he knew that there, that there was a hunger that was more important than that for food and water. It was a hunger for God. Often in our times of difficulties, we pull away from God. For whatever reason, that seems to be human nature. Things begin to go bad. Things begin to go south. Things begin to get difficult. And we move away from God and God's people. When David says that is the very time that we ought to be moving toward God and toward God's people to allow them to encourage us. A hunger for God also means a desire to grow into his likeness. It is not enough just want to be closer to God. It's not enough to want to know more about God. We must want to be more like God. Having a true relationship with God is reciprocal. The more we come to know him, the more we become like him. Oh, to be like thee, blessed redeemer, we sing. Do we really have that desire to become more like God in our lives? We ought to have that. Knowing God in, is, is transforming It transforms into action, into how we think, how we live, how we treat others are all part of this transformation. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness is not just hungering and thirsting for the, the saving righteousness. It's not just hungering and thirsting for God to save us and make us righteous in that sense. That's not all that hungering and thirsting for righteousness is about. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness means hungering and thirsting for being more righteous in our lives every day. Do we have that hunger? Oh, I messed up yesterday. Yesterday was not a good day. But I want to be better tomorrow. I want to be more righteous. I want to be more God-like. I want to be more Christ-like. I, I yearn for that. I love that word. We don't use that word too much. Yearn. I yearn for that. I yearn to be more like God in my life. And that will also help sustain us through the difficult times. A third aspect of hungering for God is a desire to worship him. When do you feel most worshipful? When things are going well? When everything is just right? When God has answered your prayers as you wanted? I've been thinking about that a lot this week. The report that we got Wednesday could not have been any better. It was, it was absolutely the best that it could have been considering what we already knew. What a time to praise God. What a time to worship God. What a time to thank 
God. But what if that wasn't the news? What if the news had been the opposite? What if the news had been horribly devastating? I would hope, I would hope that I would still praise God. That I would still worship God. That I would still realize that in my life I have so much to be thankful for. You see, it's easy to worship God when everything's okay, right? Oh, when everything's going right, you know, how great thou art. Oh God, you are my God. We praise thee, oh God. I stand in awe of you. When everything is going right, those words just easily fall off our tongues. But what about in the difficult times? You see, there are some of the Psalms when David is at the peak of his kingness, at the peak of his spiritualness, and he praises God. This ain't one of them. He's desperate. He's isolated. And yet he still praises God. I have seen you in the sanctuary, he says, beheld your power and glory Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. He's saying, yes, things are bad now. But I look back and I think of all the good things you have done in my life. And I can look forward to what you have promised to do for me in my life. And I will praise you. My lips will sing praises to you. You see, when we understand that God loves us. When we understand that God has saved us. And when we understand that God has blessed us and promised to bless us and take us forever in eternity to heaven, to be with him, even in the darkest of hours, we can praise God. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And it ought to be passing. I think it says passing, but it ought to be an N with an apostrophe on it. Leave the G off. This is Texas. I'm just a passing through. Can things get really dark here? Can things get really difficult here? But even in the midst of it, we praise God and we worship him. And we are able to sing, oh God, you are my God. We are able to sing how great thou art. We are able to sing, I stand in awe of you, even in our darkest hour. Because God is our God. Fourthly. Well, before fourthly. It's okay if you went to fourthly, but that's okay. We need to allow 
worship to affect our lives, not our lives to affect our worship. That's the point I was trying to make. Lastly, our hunger for God means a desire to share that hunger with others. Part of the praise and worship we offer God is our testimonies to others. It is beneficial to them and to us as well. Now, when we think about this, we think about, you know, how important it is that we share what we know about God with other people and the blessing then that that can become to them. But there is a part of that sharing with others that is beneficial to us as well. In education, it's kind of said that, especially in math, that if you're a math teacher and you have a student and you really want to know if that student understands this particular concept, see if they can teach it to another student. See if they can explain it to another student. If they can explain it to another student, then they've got it. And you know they've got it. And in sharing what God has done with us to other people, it may, it may make us struggle a little bit. It may make us wrestle with some things in our own hearts, in our own minds, but we will come out on the other side stronger. It allows us to work out our questions and doubt. And that seems to be what happens in so many of the songs. We've talked about this. David and the other writers, they're having kind of a a two-way conversation with somebody that's not answering back. They're having a conversation with God a lot of times. God, how long will you let this go on? God, why is this happening? I don't get it. The the wickedest people on earth are blessed, it seems like, boundlessly. And here I am trying to do your will, and I'm struggling to get by. What's up with that? Why is that happening? And they go through all of that, and they express all of that. And then it's almost like by the time they get to the end, They've been their own counselor. They've figured it out. And sometimes we may have to struggle with some things in our lives because we want to be able to share with other people. And that's okay. Because we will be stronger on the other side. How many in our world are there in the desert? How many are struggling We not only have the opportunity, but the responsibility to share what we know about God with them. Not only for their benefit, but our benefit as well. It may be that you are here this morning. We got water fountains galore out there. We got more water than we know what to do with. We got food around. I don't know that anybody in here is going to leave here and starve to death. Beautiful spring. The, already the stuff is budding and green, you know, and it's all, it's all pretty. We're in here, I don't know, 250 people, however many we got in here this morning. All kinds of folks. But are you alone this morning? Are you in a desert, in a dry and weary land where there is no water? 
David says, thirst after God. Hunger after God. Earnestly seek Him. If there's some way we can help or encourage you this morning, we invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol.com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, we would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Our meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.